So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would block this bill from being passed. And, Father, more than blocking the bill, I pray that the blood of your Son and his Spirit would infiltrate the hearts of those who are considering abortion, who have had abortions, Father, and that because of your blood, abortion would be eradicated because, um, because of love for you. So I pray that you would help us know how to um, stand up, how to stand in the gap, how to intercede. I pray that as um, this bill comes about, that you would destroy it. And as for today's message, Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, feet that want to be, um, pursue obedience, Father. I pray that we would walk out of here different, that you would be the center. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are still currently going through the book of Revelation. Today, we're sitting in chapter 11. We are still currently in the intermission between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. While we are still here, John still has two more visions. So Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. That's where we stop for now. So the first vision that John has is is when he is given a reed and told to measure the temple of God, the altar, and the worshipers there. Though what's interesting is he is told not to measure the outer court because it is given to the Gentiles. And these Gentiles will trample this outer court for 42 months. So what we have to understand is a little bit more to help us completely maybe have a better idea of what this may mean, right? What is the temple and why is the temple important? So before we get to what the temple is, let's briefly look at temples past. So first there was a tabernacle. Many of you guys are familiar with that, right? God designed this tabernacle, this temple, and had Moses oversee the project. This was the place that God, uh, God's people would come to meet him. The tabernacle, or the temple, or the tabernacle, the tabernacle, sorry, was the temple for around 500 years for God's people. But then the king, King David, wanted a permanent place. So then we have the first temple. King David wanted to build a physical temple, but God said no to King David. David was a man of war, and God wanted a man of peace to build it. Therefore, Solomon, King David's son, 
ended up building this temple. And Solomon had a bunch of money, right? So this temple had all the furnishings. It was known as Solomon's temple or the first temple. It was uh, magnificent, magnific oh, I can't speak today because my nose, magnific I'm just, magnificently, thank there we go, built, <laughs> I'm not even sure if I'm saying it right now, but um, it was built awesome. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> and it was a great place that God's people would come meet him. Now, this temple was up for around 400 years until the Babylonians destroyed it, resulting in there being no temple for 70 years. Then we had the second temple, right? This temple was built under the leadership of Ezra and uh, Zerubbabel. Um, this temple wasn't as magnificent. See, magni why can't I? Someone say it for me. Magni I can't say it today. Magnificent. I know. I can't say it today. God bless me. Here, wait. This temple was as, wasn't as awesome as the one Solomon built, as they didn't have as many resources, right? This temple was up for over 600 years. So Jesus would have visited and taught at this temple. This is the second one. So how many more temples are there, and why did these temples matter? The building of these temples does help us understand the prophetic timing of Jesus' return. So how many more are there? Some believe that there are two more temples. Others believe there's maybe just one more. But the third temple, to, be, uh, to understand the third temple, though, we would need to look at Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12, Matthew 24, or I'll just bring up one verse about the third temple today in 2 Thessalonians 2. Verse 3 and 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, one of the things that we've wrestled through this um, whole time throughout the book of Revelation is the, the timing of the gathering unto him, or what some would call the rapture. So some people in here who are dispensationalists or might have that leaning might think that the church might not be here for this time. So the third temple, the church would not be here. Others who believe in a post-trip, possibly even a mid-trip, could be here right at the beginning. Post-tribbers, you'll probably be here the whole time, right? <laughs> so depending on how you interpret um, the gathering unto him and his return is how you will see this third temple. The third temple is the temple that the Antichrist will reign in. And there is much speculation right now that the third temple is close to being built. Anyone heard any of that speculation? 
some of us. Now, we are simply waiting on a, yeah, a couple more prophetic events to take place. Maybe a peace agreement, uh, red heifer, purification, and a few other things. But allegedly, right now, there are plans for this third temple to be built. So what scripture would tell us is when this third temple is built, according to 2 Thessalonians, the Antichrist will rule and reign in this temple. So then it helps us see, hey, we're getting closer and closer to the end of time. So that would be the third temple. And then the fourth temple, this is the temple that is believed to be here during the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. We can see this in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. There's much debate about this scripture, though, but I wanted to make sure that I at least mentioned these temples. So uh, what is the temple being mentioned here in Revelation chapter 11? Is it the first? Is it the second? Is it the third? Is it the fourth? Or is it something completely different? Well, since we're trying to understand it, we're going to try to figure that out. May I offer one thought, though, about what the temple may be in Revelation chapter 11? The Greek word here that is used for temple is naos, right? And then per the definition, the spiritual temple consisting of the saints of all ages joined together by and in Christ. They also say it could be, be described as to dwell. So the original language that when we look at what it means, it means to dwell, for Christ to live within. So the word temple here in the New Testament and here in the book of Revelation has to refer to God's people. So in the New Testament, we see many times where temple refers not to a physical being, but what? Or not a physical structure, but actually God's church. So 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So we have many temples in here today, do we not? Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And God has, says, has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Also confirming that who is the temple of God? You and I. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, or, yeah, you also, living like stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Temple. He is living in you. Revelation 3. Verse 12, 
the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in my temple, in the temple of my God. Never again they will leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. So in the New Testament, we often see where temple is talked about as God's people. So here in the book of Revelation, when the original language goes back to dwelling, right? God dwelling with his people. Then we have to ask, what temple is being talked about here? Is it the third temple or is the temple being discussed here, you and I? Now, again, the way that you interpret that depends upon how you interpret um, the gathering unto him. Because if you, if you believe that we are gathered unto him before any type of tribulation, then what you're going to see this as, being a dispensationalist, the way that you would see this as God's people are not here, so since God's people are not here, there's no way that this could be talking about physical human beings. This has to talk about a structure. Now, my understanding of Scripture today is I lean towards, and I do not die on the hill of, post-trip. If you have questions about that, you can go to the sermon um, that we talked about several weeks ago and listen to it, and then I'd love to have a discussion with you guys. So what, that, what I'm suggesting then is maybe temple could be something different here. So we're going to continue to dive in. But here's, here's a point that we need to see is God's plans won't be stopped even though the world tries. So again, I'm going to read Revelation 11, 1 and 2. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it was given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. So we have to ask, in this vision, what does temple mean? Is, is John given a vision to go measure God's people? Or is John given a vision to go measure a physical temple? I would say that the original language appears to be pointing us to the understanding that John was to go measure people, not a physical structure. This helps us make a few hypotheses, right, about what is being measured here. So the first hypothesis that we could uh, make is the measuring of worshipers could mean the evaluation of the church's lifestyle, character, and behavior of those who say that they are in Christ. So maybe in this vision, God says, hey, go, go measure the church. Now, what we do see is in the seven churches, the evaluation was given, and there was a measuring that happened there as well, right? He evaluated them. He said, here's what I have against you. Here's what maybe you should do. So maybe we could hypothesize, hey, 
He's told to go measure the behavior of the church. Maybe the second hypothesis could be that um, John doesn't measure the entire temple as he is told to exclude the outer courts. Why? Because these were given to the Gentiles, right? So possibly this is the place that was given over to the world, to the nations. They will trample it for 42 months. So the temple is God's people. The outer courts is for the world. So the inner places are kept safe by God. The outer places are not. And then maybe, yeah, so under the old covenant, covenant the outer court was reserved for the foreigners. So what's possible, that's what's, what's being pointed to here by John is the persecution of the church by the world in the outer courts. God will keep his people eternally safe from hell in the temple. But, because the temple is protected, right? But the outer courts, he's handed over to the world. The idea would be, we are secure in Christ forever. But until Jesus' return, the world will wage war against the church and God's people. Don't you guys see that going on today? You are, if you are in Christ, you are safe. Safe from hell. Safe from condemnation. Amen? But until his return, until he restores all things, the world is going to rage and wage war against you. So maybe that's, maybe that's what John is pointing at here in this picture that God was, was giving to him. Again, much of why I wanted to go through the book of Revelation is not because I have a complete understanding or firm stance on everything. But here's some ideas that as, as we grow in seeking Christ each day, we can go understand more. We can seek him. Those who seek me will find me when they seek me with their whole heart. Amen? Is our whole heart just seeking God on Sunday morning? If you, if you diet one day a week, but six days a week, you just eat whatever you want, are you going to lose weight? No, right? Point being, let's pursue further study here in the book of Revelation chapter 11. You go home get into the word, read some commentaries, ask God to teach you. And he will, that's the promise. So again, I hold loosely to this interpretation, but I do believe, as of today, what John is pointing to is us being the temple that we are eternally secure and safe in him because of his blood, but the world will rage, wage and rage against us. So God, God uh, protects people in the things he calls them to is the next point that we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 11. Verse 3, I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. 
This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during this time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. That's a unique power to have. That's a scary time. So these two witnesses during this time are given the power to prophesy. They prophesy for 1,260 days or three and a half years. They're clothed in sackcloth. Um, they will proclaim God's word in power. And no one will be able to harm them until they finish the work God set before them. So the age-long question that I believe you're hoping that I answer today is, who are these two witnesses? Is it Elijah and Enoch? Is it Elijah and Moses? Is it um, Elijah and Elijah? Is it James and John? Is it P uh, Peter and Paul? Is it the law and the prophets? Is it the law and the gospel? Is it Israel in the church, Israel and the word? Is it the churches of Smyrna and Philadelphia? Is it, a, is it the spirit of Elijah and Moses? Um, and as of today, here's what I say. I don't know. And uh, I'm okay with that. And I think you and I should be okay with that. Um, I don't feel the need to declare anything more than what we already know. There are two witnesses. Amen? Now, how will these two witnesses carry out their mission? That's important for us to figure out today. This is pointing us back to Zechariah chapter 4. And the way that they yeah, will carry out their mission is like an olive tree. Now, what we know about olive trees is olive trees provide oil, and we use oil for lamps. What do lamps do? Lamps provide light. And that's how these witnesses are going to carry out their mission. So these witnesses during this time, 1260 days, will be provided with endless oil to provide light to the world. And this is free right here, but I think you and I have endless oil as well. Amen? We have streams of living water living inside of us to cause us to be light into the world. Nevertheless, Matthew 5, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So these two witnesses will be lamps and light into the world during this time. They will be preaching, teaching, prophesying, evangelizing. I believe that people will be coming to Christ because of their witness. So the olive tree also not only represents oil for burning of lamps, but it also represents anointing oil. They will carry an anointing much like Moses and Elijah. 
Moses split the sea. Nile turned into blood. Frogs, etc. right? Elijah, 1 Kings 17.1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gideon said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So he said, there's going to be no rain. And guess what? There was no rain. 2 Kings 1, 10 through 14. Elijah answered the captain, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire from heaven, um, sorry, then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. At this, the kings sent to Elijah, another captain with his 50 men. The captain said to him, man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. If I am a man of God, Elijah replied, may fire come down from heaven and consume you with your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. The third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect on my life. So Moses had this anointing on his life where God moved powerfully in signs and wonders. And Elijah had the anointing of God in his life, this oil from an olive tree, like an olive tr tree. So oil represents light, but oil also represents anointing and authority. So there's this anointing and authority that will be with these two witnesses. But it also represents fruit. See, in this olive tree, olive trees are fruitful. You get thousands of olives from these trees. So these witnesses will be fruitful for the sake of God, like an olive tree. And the interesting piece about it is they won't be able to be touched until they complete God's mission. So today, that's where we're going to wrap up. Because if we went any further, we'd be here until about 12.30. So God's plan won't be stopped, even if the world tries. God protects his people in the things he calls them to do, i.e., these witnesses. And I believe that God tabernacles. Well, actually, it doesn't matter what I believe. God tabernacles in his people. So as we interpret today's scripture, we need to see that I believe that God is speaking about him tabernacling in you and I, and that there's coming, there's coming challenges against the church, but we are eternally safe in him because of his son's blood. Amen?
Next week, we will pick up the rest of chapter 11, and we should finish 12 as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I pray that um, you would move powerfully in us like this idea of the olive tree. Father, that we would remain in you and you in us, that your anointing oil would cause us to be light unto the world. Father, that we wouldn't hide our light, but we would be light unto the world. Father, that we would have an anointing, a double portion, your spirit within us, to go out and pow powerfully represent and preach the gospel and that we would be fruitful because of that. Keep us safe this week, Father. Lead us not into temptation. In Jesus' name, amen.